0: Welcome board Giants fans to episode 76 of Talk is Cheaper, New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch and Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advance Media. They were at MetLife Stadium on Sunday night to watch the Giants win a big game. One of the biggest the Giants have won in a long time, 10-7 in a low-scoring affair to beat the Dallas Cowboys for the second time this season. The Giants now 9-4 and in great position to at least grab a wild-card spot in the NFC. James, we start with you. Uh, We didn't know what to expect going into this one, except some weather, but the one thing that is becoming, and has become a long time ago, I guess, evident about the New York Giants this season is every week that defense comes to play. And it was, it was something to watch. I mean, that was a dominant effort on Sunday night. Definitely. I I think, I don't want to say the defense's performance this season has been
1: overblown, but I thought that they didn't play a bunch of really good teams, and when they played teams like the Packers or the Steelers, they were giving up a bunch of big plays. I don't think they played particularly well last weekend, but you really there's no real flaws you can find with this performance on Sunday night. They took an offense that was one of the NFL's best, and they completely shut them down. Dominant performance, uh, brilliant defensive performance. That That was what a top-five defense in the league is supposed to look like, and the Giants looked like that on Sunday night.
0: They did. It was an incredible performance to so do that and do it again against the Cowboys, uh, an offense, Dan, that all year long, when they don't play the Giants, they average about 28 points a game. In the two games they played the Giants, they scored 19 in week one. They scored seven um, on Sunday night. It's just when the Giants, when the Cowboys play the Giants, they just can't move the football.
2: Yeah. And let's not forget that uh, they were missing JPP. And I think a lot of people understandably thought that that would be, you know, a big absence to overcome. And- Romeo Acquara undrafted free agent steps in and you know plays I, mean, I wouldn't say he's JPP level but I mean it's, he had a you know a heck of an impact on that game and again for a guy who we didn't really even know who was going to start and he ends up playing I think it was 60 out of 66 snaps so he certainly uh, impressed the coaches and really rose to the occasion I think one thing I'll say is that the Giants certainly match up well with the Cowboys I think you know, even you know, I, I picked the, the Cowboys to win the game last night just because I thought the Giants' offense would be bad. I was right. I just underestimated the Giants' defense, but they do match up well because the Cowboys want to you know play downhill and, and run smash smashmouth football. But when you have Damon Harrison and Jonathan Hank is in the middle of the defense, you know that kind of negates the Cowboys' biggest strength. And you saw last night, uh, they you know Zeke Elliott still had a good game, but he wasn't able to go off. And they were able to make Dak Prescott look like a rookie. I mean, this this secondary, uh, Janoris Jenkins. I mean, for a guy who people were questioning if he was worth the big contract this offseason, I mean, he might want to raise because he has been uh, phenomenal. I mean, Des Bryant, uh, I think, he had two catches for 18 yards in the two matchups against him, and obviously uh, the only catch last night turned into a fumble. Uh, so, uh, you know, just hats off to the defense. I mean, it's just a, an amazing performance to uh, to go out and do this, especially against the team, you know, as, as you listed all the accolades the Cowboys had coming in.
0: Yeah, and I think Jenkins has played at an all-pro level. It, just, it feels like week after week, James, he just matches up with whoever the Giants ask him to match up with. He dominates that wide receiver. And then when you have a first-round pick, a number 10 overall pick in Eli Apple, coming into his own the last few weeks and starting to play really well and and showing why the Giants maybe weren't crazy to take him you know, as high as they did. And then you have a guy like DRC who everyone kind of forgets about and just playing his role and doing whatever they ask him. When you can p- rush the passer and you have a good defensive line and you can cover... There's few things that offenses can do that you're not ready for. I mean, the defense is really—it's. I think it's more well built than we maybe gave it credit for before the start of the season. Would you say that? I I definitely think so. I, I think
1: maybe it's more well built than we were giving them credit for a week ago. You know, obviously JPP. I I thought that was going to have a major impact in the game. And look, it's just one game. Romeo Okwara had a tremendous night. Uh, I think everyone talks about. You know, Jerry Reese should get credit for. You know, siding snacks and, and Jenkins and Vernon. And he should, but at the same time, you know, that that was just opening the checkbook to guys who had proven they can play in the NFL. I think if you want to truly give Jerry Reese credit for something, look at the the, the two the two leading tacklers for the Giants on Sunday night were an undrafted rookie that he plucked out of Notre Dame after the draft and Devon Kennard, a fifth round pick three years ago, who finally is healthy and kinda of coming into his own as well. So I think that's where you should give Reese credit for. I mean, that he got those two guys. Those are things the those type of low-round, undrafted guys is what the Giants haven't had recently. And that's one of the reasons why they had these struggles before this year, obviously. No, I, I think that what my big takeaway from Sunday night was the offense is not very good. I'm sure we'll discuss the offense in depth in a second. But if the defense can play like that, and I don't mean that dominant performance, but if they can be a team that pretty much is going to hold opponents to somewhere around you know, 10 to 24 points – on a given week, maybe the Giants have to start kind of adjust, adjusting their offense to complement their defense and say, okay, our goal is to go out there and win games 17-14 every week. Because I think the Giants' offense can do that, especially when you have Odell Beckham, who, who just can turn it out on a dime and take a, a five-yard slant into an 80-yard touchdown. So I'm almost starting to think maybe the Giants have to say, our mentality has to be defense first, and we're going to win ugly. Because I think... Winning ugly, I mean, a win's a win, but if your strategy is to win ugly, I think it's a little bit more appetizing than it originally would look if you're just winning every week, gutting it out.
0: Yeah, that is an interesting point. We could definitely get into that when we talk about the offense and their issues right now and, and you know the good and the bad with them. Dan, you made the point about the defense a few minutes ago and, and matching up well with the Cowboys. I, I thought one of the reasons that they've matched up well is the way and the position Steve Spagnuolo has put them. And it, it feels like we don't talk about Spagnuolo much. I mean, last year was, well, he doesn't have any players. What is he supposed to do? This year it's, well, he has players now. The defense will be naturally better. Um, it's almost like he's gotten forgotten in the conversation, the defensive coordinator. I thought he did a good job of, of picking his spots on Sunday night of went to blitz and, and what to do. But uh, there was always a debate about Spags, Dan, in terms of, when he had players, the Giants defense won a Super Bowl. When he didn't, he was exposed as a coach. Looks like he has players again, and all, his defense playing well again.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that's uncommon among coaches. I mean, you know, you, you put good players out there, they all all the X's and O's start to look a little bit better. I mean, obviously the guy can coach. I mean, uh, but yeah, you give him talent, and you go from the 32nd defense to I think they're seventh in scoring right now. So uh, that's certainly not a coincidence, but – uh, he definitely deserves credit. I mean, Pro Football Focus had a stat that they blitzed uh, Dak 25% in week one, and it was up to 37% last night. So uh, he certainly changed things up. Dak Prescott never looked comfortable for a kid who uh, has been praised, rightfully so, for his poise. He was very skittish. You know, there was constantly pressure on him, whether it was the front four, whether it was pressure. Uh, obviously, the coverage had a lot to do with it. I just thought it was a great, uh, great job by Spags because, again, it just mixed it up. It's, you know, kind of the. The opposite of the offense, which you know, I feel like just banged his head against the wall all day. Um, I don't feel like the Cowboys knew what they were getting. I think that they did a good job mixing things up. You had Devon Canard playing linebacker, playing defensive end, playing defensive tackle. Uh, you had a guy Eric Pinkins, who you know most fans probably never heard of. He comes in and he blitzes and he hits Dak. Um, you know, and I think it was a third down and completion or something like that. So, just bottom line is it's different people stepping up, uh, you know, playing different roles. And I think yeah, Spags certainly has the horses this year, but. Definitely have to tip your hat because I think he's had some really good game plans. I think he's been aggressive in in the right spots. I mean, think of how many games this team has won, uh, you know, in the last series, having to uh, close out a game, and and he seems to kind of dial up, you know, the right packages uh, in those situations. So, uh, I mean, he certainly uh, deserves a game ball, in my opinion, for the way his unit performed last night. Again, you know, without JPP. It
0: was tremendous. Yeah, especially without a guy like that. Go ahead, James. I was going to say, you
1: know, uh, obviously Spags interviewed for the Giants' head coaching job. You know, obviously McAdoo got it, and when I think it was rookie minicamp when, when he spoke for the first time after the, the staff was set, he said, you know, it, it's still his goal, his dream to be a head coach again in the NFL. And I think a lot of people kind of like, you know, wrote snarky, you know, stories about that and kind of made fun of that. I don't, I don't think he's necessarily going to be a hot head coaching candidate after this season. But if this defense, you know. Play, keeps playing this well, he finishes the season strong. However, that finishes, and they do it again next year. And look, I think this defense has the ability to be even better next year. When you consider that they're going to have Darian Thompson back, they hope as a true center fielder at free safety. And I would assume they're they're going to add some talent, you know, whether it be pass rusher or or linebacker. I think obviously the defensive line, you know, you have some free agents. That's the question. But I really think he, Steve Spagnuolo might actually, you know, he might be on the road to getting a second shot as a head coach someday. Uh, This is a major redemption year for him after the struggles of last year and and the disaster he had in New Orleans. And I I think he's on that path now. I mean, it's still a ways to go, but I don't think that that is such a ridiculous idea as maybe seemed
0: back in the spring. I don't think it is either. I mean, anytime a guy has a success, you know, has success as a coordinator, he gets popped up back on the radar. If the Giants go on a run, it, it definitely could be a thing here. Let's go back to the idea of the Giants having the Cowboys' number for right now and for this year, because I think that and NBC finished their coverage of the Sunday night game with that idea and that the Cowboys should fear the Giants. And uh, naturally, you look forward here. The Giants are very close to clinching something. They could possibly do it in Week 15 if the Giants do finish this up and get in. Uh, logic would dictate they, you know, one win away from possibly going to Dallas uh, in the second round of the playoffs. Now, it doesn't mean they would. Who knows what happens in the other matchup. But that matchup and that possibility is certainly out there. Dan, if the Giants go to Dallas in the second round of the playoffs, uh, it would mean they'd have to win a playoff game somewhere else first. But if we get there, I think Giants fans are going to feel good that they're going to win the football game. Um, It's tough to beat a team three times, but from what you've seen in these two matchups, do you think this matchup thing really – it's the difference between these teams right now?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think if, if I'm a – you know, if you want to start, like, ranking opponents you want to see slash don't want to see, I mean, the Cowboys would probably be uh, toward the top of the list of teams you wouldn't be afraid of. You I mean, obviously, two wins has a way of doing that. But, again, like I said, just from the X's and O's standpoint, uh, the Cowboys' strength on offense matches up well with the Giants' strength on defense. Now – the Giants will have to figure something out offensively. I can't imagine they're going to hold this team to seven points if they were to meet again. Uh, and the Cowboys' defense was you know, pretty much every bit as impressive as the Giants last night, except they just don't have Odell Beckham Jr., and that was the difference on that one play. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I'd be much more afraid of a team like the Packers or the Falcons with a little bit more of a, a dynamic passing game, a little more of a dynamic offense, whereas, again, the Cowboys, they kind of want to line up and run it down your throats. And again, when you have Damon Harrison in the middle of your defensive line, it, it's difficult to do that, but... I mean, obviously getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but, you know, team, guys on both teams were saying that, you know, they're looking forward to uh, the chance for a third game. So, I mean, I think everyone, uh, you know, would sign up for that, including obviously the TV network. So, uh, you know, hopefully it comes to that point.
0: Yeah, Fox would certainly not be upset if we get that uh, Sunday 4 o'clock window of wild, of the divisional weekend at this Giants at the Cowboys. When you watch the games, the two of them so far, James, this year, when, when you watch Dak Prescott, because all the story this year has been about Dak Prescott, it's been about Ezekiel Elliott. Elliott has done, you know, last night he was He, was okay. he wasn't okay, was great, but he was pretty good, as he always is. But the Giants really have, they've shut down Dak Prescott. I mean, he's looked like a rookie in those games. You look at his numbers in the other games he's played, he hasn't looked like a rookie. I think i said this before, but
1: when the Giants played the Cowboys in week one, my takeaway, I think I said it on the podcast, was, you know, Dak can keep them 500, but I, I didn't really think that he was going to be able to give them a chance to win. I, I figured they have to go back to Romo. I'm not ready to quite say I was right about that, but he he looked shaky last night, and you know Jerry Jones shot down the, the Romo speculation pretty quickly and pretty firmly after the game. But you know, look, the Cowboys' their next two games are the, the the Bucks and the Lions, so I I really think there's a chance, you know, especially if the, if the Bucks are red hot next week Sunday Night Football, if if that comes out flat in the first half next week. I really think that we're going to see Tony Romo come in, and I think that that could do one of two things for the Cowboys. It could make them even better, or it could kind of kill this thing. I think the Cowboys, they're walking a really fine line here, and I think yesterday was maybe the first sign that Dak is he's done great, but he's still a rookie. And I don't know if he's going to be able to get this thing to where they want it to go.
0: Before we move on to the Giants' offense and some of the worries and some of the greatness with Beckham, I just want to throw this stat out there. You know, if we if we circle back around and the three of us are talking about this matchup come January and Dak is still in there or he's not, but seven of twenty-two, two interceptions last night when not under pressure. That was just that was a combination of the Giants' secondary being really good and Dak just wasn't. Dak didn't play a good game last night, and uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how the Cowboys approach it. But for the Giants now, guys, nine and four, three games to go. They likely need one win to clinch that playoff spot, maybe a little help here or there. But one out of the three is probably going to get it done. But the worry, of course, is always a worry with the Giants. They only scored 10 points in a victory. The defense was great, but the offense, and Dan, we've been having the same uh, variation of this conversation for 14 weeks now. The offense stunk, and (laughs) Eli wasn't any good on Sunday night. Um, The offensive line, especially Eric Flowers, was bad, and they were rescued by one play, by odell beckham and this i thought was even more though discouraging because the cowboys defense isn't great and they had given up a ton of yards to the redskins on thanksgiving i thought last night was a night that they might be able to move the football and they couldn't
2: yeah it feels like we said that every week like oh yep. the browns of course they'll they'll get going this week and uh it doesn't happen and, again you looked at the cowboys oh this isn't a world beating defense and yet uh they hold you under 300 yards again and, and it's it's just now it's everywhere it's you wanted to blame McAdoo's play calling and then it's then it's Eli and then it's the running game. It's the offensive line. Even Odell wasn't great until the one play where he had the two drops and Victor Cruz had a drop. I mean, it just feels like I, I don't know how they won the game last night. Obviously we've talked about the defense, that's how it was, but that offense was was just so bad. And it's and it's been like this for so long. It's amazing that they're nine and four. Um, with an offense that's playing like this, and again, this isn't you know one of these offenses like the Ravens from back in the early two thousands where hey they don't have any weapons and they're just trying to survive the games like like James is saying like maybe they should just commit to winning ugly. This shouldn't be the case when you have you know a guy like Eli's pedigree, a game changer like Odell, uh, and yet that's that's kind of where they're at right now. It's it's really. It's hard to see it changing at this point again because I know it's you know people keep saying oh well maybe it'll click. I mean it's we're 13 games in, kind of how it you are, and and again credit to them that they're nine and four despite this offense, but uh, it's kind of dicey to go into the playoffs thinking that you know this offense is going to be good enough to to make a serious run. Then again they keep finding a way, so I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss. I mean it's it's surprising to me and yet it's not that they just can't figure out a way to get anything going. Um, you know McAdoo is really searching for positives to. To credit the amount of rushing attempts they had last night when, I mean, you average three yards a carry. I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing that you're running the ball so much. So, I mean, even at the end of the game, clearly didn't trust, uh, you know, putting the ball in Eli's hands. They just were content to run it into the line three times or, and just punt it away. Um, so, uh, I don't know. The offense is, is definitely a big concern, but, you know, it's, it's a little easier to stomach after a win, of course.
0: It is. This conversation would be totally different if the Giants defense was even average because they'd be in big trouble and we'd be focusing so much on the offense. James, before we touch on Odell and just the, the ability to just change everything on a dime, uh, Dan mentioned Eli there. And you look at some of the numbers and I never thought Eli's the kind of quarterback you should evaluate solely on numbers because it, I don't think it gives the full picture of what he is as a quarterback. But they're not very good this year compared to the last couple of years under Ben McAdoo. How much of this is on Eli? I mean, he turned the football over four times last night, the interception, or three times, the interception and the um, and the two lost fumbles. I mean, how much of this is on Eli and the way he's played? I think, look,
1: it, the quarterback's always going to get a, a lot of credit or a lot of blame. I think there's a significant amount of this on Eli because we said this before, the offensive line, it, it's, it struggles, and Eric Flowers was really bad in the first half last night. I didn't think Bobby Hart played all that well either, especially early on, but... It's pretty much the same line they had last year. It's The tight ends aren't great, but the tight ends weren't great last year. The backs are pretty much the same. The receivers, I think, are better because they didn't have Shepard. They didn't have Cruz. You know, Eli's not playing well, and I think that a lot of people, obviously you'll see on social media and emails to us, like the Eli defenders will come out and they'll blame it on the drops or the offensive line or this or that. But the bottom line is Eli Manning hasn't played well. I don't think he's been awful but I don't think he's been as good as anyone expected him to be this year, be going to his third year in the offense. And some of those throws last night that he got away with that were dropped or hit the ground or whatever, I mean, they were god-awful. I mean, I don't know what he was thinking on some of those throws. And I know, you know, Mac is, oh, we'll go look at the film. I mean, they're going to go look at the film, and I think they're going to be scratching their heads because some of the, it just didn't make sense. You know, he just – I don't know what it is. There's something not right with this offense and – Maybe we'll never figure out what it is, but Dan's right. They're 13 games in. This is not going to click. They've just got to figure out a way to get this to be somewhat serviceable, and I don't even know if they can do that. They won. That's great. Everyone's going to be excited. They beat the Cowboys. No one should take that away from them. Biggest win since the Super Bowl, You know, biggest win of the year, but this offense is just not good.
0: It's not. No, that, I think that's the best way to put it. The one saving grace they have, Dan, and we we seemingly come back to him every time we want to totally bury the offense, and you can't because once in a while, Odell Beckham Jr. will just he'll make make an Odell Beckham Jr. play. And last night, takes the pass from Eli, runs sixty one yards, and uh, it's just amazing to watch this guy and his physical ability. Like he's a track star wearing a helmet out there. Like that was that was crazy. Like it looked like the defensive back from the the um, Cowboys was going to catch him and then it just like he takes it to another gear and he's gone
2: yeah no it's amazing I mean it's gotten to the point where it's it's almost like a baseball player when you know he comes up you're expecting a home run with him you expect him to just make a play like that I mean he catches a ball five or six yards you know down the field last night on that slant and I'm saying he's gone you can see it you can just kind of you start to realize the angles for him are different than everybody else you know most people catch that ball and pretty much tackled you know right after and the Cowboys cornerback actually had the angle and he just kind of saw it was it was amazing to see Odell just gain separation as they both you know world-class athletes sprinting down the field and it was like Usain Bolt I mean he just somehow you know outruns a guy who has the angle on who also has great speed so I mean it's just it's amazing to see I mean it's obviously such a weapon it's again, these are slant passes, these are supposed to, you know, move the chains, and every time he catches one, he's a threat to take it to the house, I mean, there's just, there's not many guys, if, if any, in the NFL who can do that, so that's one of those things where, you know, I think last week we were, you know, comparing him to Antonio Brown, and all these different great receivers kind of bring different things to the table, I think that's the thing that Odell has over anybody, just the ability to catch, you know, a routine ball, and just outrun everybody, I'm, I'm constantly amazed, even, you know, I think he ran a 4-4, uh, 40 at the combine, but He's one of these guys who his, his playing speed is even faster than that because, uh, like you said, it's like a track star out there. He doesn't lose any speed when he puts the pads on and when he's in a game. I mean, uh, it's just really amazing to sit back and watch this guy outrun, uh, you know, the other team's fastest players and, and gain five yards on a 50-yard on a, on a run. It's it's really impressive and, and such a huge weapon.
0: It is incredible. And, James, you mentioned f- at the beginning of the show that the Giants' offense compared to the defense, maybe how they should play things, you know, down the stretch to try to maximize what they have. And, no, I mean, we're not talking about an all-time great defense. We're talking about one that's playing well right now. I mean, do you think there's a formula there? I'm not sure how it would even look in terms of game calling or game planning, but, you know, to try to just play the best, you know, sound defense like you were mentioning and then try to win a game like they did last night, win games with a Beckham catch or two. I mean, if you were to kind of draw that up, I mean, how would Ben McAdoo go about doing that to maximize the team he has right now? I think one thing that...
1: And I don't think he's going to do this because it's not in his nature from what we've seen. Is that, you know, the, the fourth down stuff is great, and I understand he's aggressive, but I go back to the sequence. Now, a lot of people would disagree with Press Box. The sequence where they got the fourth down and then Eli turned it over on the fumble, I would have kicked the field goal there. I think it was like a 49, 50 yard try for Robbie Gold. I would have attempted that field goal. I also think that when you get to a fourth down, you know, like, in, you know, around midfield, Maybe you don't go for that. Maybe you let Brad Wing, who's been excellent the past few weeks, try to pin teams down deep. I think that might be the the way to go. You kind of you know pull back on the fourth down aggressiveness, take your three points when it's there, take your punts and try to pin them deep. I mean, those are two things I can think of off the top of my head. It's tough though because if you have a real, if you had a strong or competent run game, I think it'd be a lot easier to say, okay, we're going to try to try to complement the defense and play field position and be smart. But they don't have that. So the biggest thing I can think of is that maybe pull back on the fourth down stuff, kick the field goals when they're there, try them when they're there, use wing as a weapon, punt's not a bad thing, and then maybe go from there.
2: I, I got to just jump in and, and disagree only for the fact that they were, they were two for two on fourth down last night. Uh, I get what you're saying. I, I don't know how you can I – don't, I don't know if you want to start game plan that way. I mean, A, the defense, I don't know if they're that good – and, B, I mean, you still got to score some points. So I don't know if you want to totally kind of go into a shell. Uh, I mean, you have Odell Beckham, you have Eli Manning. I think the, the bigger thing Ben McAdoo should be doing is trying to figure out a way to actually use these weapons in an effective manner. I mean, I don't think that they they need to play scared. Uh, uh, again, I mean, uh, I think the fourth down stuff, I understand what you're saying a little bit, but I think that they, uh, you know, you need to score some points. I mean, you can't count on the defense holding opponents to seven points. Um so yeah, I think if I'm if I'm in I'm not saying ramp up the aggressiveness, but man, you got to you got to figure something out because again, you, we're talking about this weapon they have that, you know, not many teams have. So you should be finding ways to to get in the ball as much as possible um and it's just it's it's been it's been tough to watch this offense but I don't know if uh you know just kind of sitting back because again you said they don't have a running game so it's kind of tough I mean what <laughs> stop punting on third down maybe I don't know what, what they can do to really put this defense in, in more of a, a spot to win games because just just them going out and doing what they do I mean obviously the turnovers are killers but they had about six three and outs last night so they're certainly putting a lot on the defense as it is I don't know if I want to be uh, any more conservative and ask them to do even more but just my two cents on that one I you could
1: put Odell in the Wildcat.
2: <laughs> worth no, I mean, a shot, maybe. Yeah,
1: worth a shot. I mean, like that's what I'm saying. Like, just, you know, do something. Because I think that, you know, I just feel like we're going to be probably having the same conversation next, on next week's podcast. You know, that either they beat the Lions or they and they lose a close game to the Lions. And it's going to be, well, the defense played really well and the offense did this and then Odell had this brilliant play and then they didn't do anything. I mean, I just, I feel like at some point, I understand that you know they're not going to blow up the offense because it it's not like completely non functioning. It's just not functioning well. But I, I just think I, I agree with you. I don't think this is a great def like a dominant all time defense. But at some point, you know they're going to make the playoffs, barring an epic collapse. They want to at least have a representat- a representative effort in outing and showing in that in the playoffs. So. You, know, you got to do something. And I think at this point, that might be their best option to try to cater to the defense and just, you know, kind of make sure the offense doesn't totally screw it up.
0: Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, you're, uh, Ben McAdoo obviously has a philosophy and he has an offense that has worked for him. But at some point here, you know, what do you have to do just to try to win the games you have in front of you, especially when you get to January and you have yourself. A, you know, a real chance to do some damage in an NFC that looks wide open, especially when you've taken down the team that is going to be the number one seed. I mean, there's a real chance for them there. Let's talk about Eric Flowers for a second. Um, I know you guys were obviously at the game, covering the game. Not sure if you had a chance to watch the replay yet or, or the film uh, and look at it that way. But I was watching it on NBC, and Chris Collinsworth was. And he's usually, I think, more of a... Uh, a defend, he defends the players more when they're struggling than throws them under the bus for the, their technique or the way they're struggling. He's real about it, but he's not usually blasting a guy. I thought he was... I mean, he basically said, and I'm paraphrasing that Eric Flowers' technique is awful, and he's he really ever rarely sees a, a left tackle. That lost in terms of technique and, and how he's blocking, but that's the way he was describing Flowers in that first half. Uh, Dan, how big of an issue was is he in all of these conversations we have? And, and the offensive line in general, but Flowers, you know, supposed to be the anchor at left tackle.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a huge issue. I mean, when, you know, kind of amateurs like myself can look and just see that ooh, that 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 technique does not look good. You don't even need Chris Collinsworth to say that the whole letting the guy run around you, ducking your head and just in reaching out for him is not exactly what you want to see out of your uh, your first round pick left tackle. Um, yeah, I mean, I wrote last week that in that Steelers game, I feel like his struggles were probably the single biggest detriment to the offense. Um, you know, last last night in the first half, you know, kind of there's plenty of blame to go around. I mean, he had the big one where he, you know, let guy just blow right by him, and and it's also it's magnified because you're on the blind side. You know, obviously that's Eli Manning he needs to have some faith in that guy back there because you know it's the blind side. He can't see him coming. Uh, so when you get beat there, something really bad happens, like a strip sack. It's not like Eli can throw it away. It's not like Eli can just take a sack when he doesn't know it's coming. And a guy gets off the line that that quickly and that cleanly. That's that's uh, just a huge uh, you know blown assignment, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I think it's it's a tough thing to overcome. I mean, it's the point where people are, you know, calling for Will Beatty, who again, 13 games in, they really have shown no faith in playing him. I don't know. I mean, I, I was at the point last night where I thought maybe for a series, just I think you got to almost almost as a disciplinary measure, like Flowers. It's because if it's technique, it's not like the guy can't play. Again, he's a first round pick. He has the size. He has the ability. You, you got to be uh, just kind of check him a little bit. Like you got to pick it up because uh, I don't know how much you can attribute Eli's struggles to that, but. Can't say I blame Eli if you're a little skittish if you don't trust your left tackle. Very tough to play quarterback in this league, and and Flowers certainly hasn't earned his trust. So uh, I think it's a major concern. Uh, He he quieted down the second half. I don't, you know, I don't recall any, you know, kind of egregious errors by him in the second half. But it just seems like once a week he's good for either a sack, a, a crucial holding penalty. Sometimes you get both. Um, so yeah, it's it's a major concern. Uh, I don't think it's something they really can address at this point in the season. Again, if they don't trust Beatty, there's really no other options there unless you want to really get crazy and you know put Justin Pugh there when he gets back, which I don't think they'll do. Um, but yeah, it's 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 been a concern. You know, going back to last season, I know that's the thing that people kind of killed Jerry Reese on the most—that he didn't upgrade that position. And you know, frankly, it's a fair criticism because. Uh, you know he he had made some progress earlier in the season but it seems like he's you know kind of back to square one and uh it does not look like the left tackle of the future in my opinion.
0: No, he doesn't. And they drafted him to be one. When you take a guy that high, you're hoping to get a left tackle. It Doesn't look like they have one uh that's going to be a good one, let alone a great one. James, your thoughts on the line and just is is that something that Ben and Eli can't overcome this year? You know, that those guys are probably going to be the same five when we get to the first week of January they are now. <sighs> I can't
1: overcome, I don't. I mean, look, this, this is the line. It's not going to get any better. I, I mean, I shouldn't say it. I think Pew will, will help it, obviously, when they get Justin Pew back. But, I mean, it, that can be a sizable, you know, it, this line is not all of a sudden going to click and become a dominant force down the stretch. And the, with Flowers, I mean, I wrote this last week, but the Giants are really kind of in a bad spot here because they drafted Flowers number nine overall to be their left tackle. I thought that people who I understand why Jerry Reese didn't want to move him to the right side this past offseason because the way I think the Giants looked at it was, well, we expected he would play right tackle as rookie year, then move over. And obviously BD's injury forced him to play left tackle. He struggled, but no duh, he's a rookie. Of course he's gonna struggle. But I think they expected him to make sufficient progress with new line coach this year and be fine. He's not fine. And I think Fans say, "Oh, move him to the right side." Well, okay. One, I mean, it's, it's a technique issue. I mean, his techniques to be just as bad on the right side. You would presume on the left side, and two, they're in a position now where they desperately need him to somehow work at left tackle because the chance to bring in a veteran like uh, Russell Okung or D- Daniel Donald Penn that's passed. You look at the free agent market coming up this spring no one's really out there. You're going to have Andrew Whitworth who's 34 years old and probably will just go back to Cincinnati. Or you're going to have Matt Khalil from Minnesota who's coming off hip surgery. The tackle draft uh, not very good this year. So, and do the Giants really want to spend another, you know, high round pick on an offensive lineman or do they want to trade that to to Cleveland for Joe Thomas or San Francisco for Joe Staley? I mean, I just feel like if Flowers goes to the right side, he might work out there, but it's going to throw the Giants' entire offseason building plan kind of off schedule because you know, they're going to have to sacrifice getting a tight end or a running back or a linebacker or another pass rusher potentially because they have to go invest a first, second-round pick in drafting a tackle. In a tackle light draft or trading for a tackle, or they might have to spend money and overpay on the free agent market to get a guy who maybe isn't necessarily a great fit to begin with. So they need Flowers to get going now because they got to keep Eli upright and they got to try to win. But going to the future, because if Flowers doesn't pan out or they have to win the right tackle, even if that works, you don't draft right tackles number nine overall, and I think it's going to become a knock on Jerry Reese's resume. Now he's doing a lot; he's done a lot of good recently. So I don't think it's as bad as it would have been a year ago. But the Flowers thing—they desperately need this to work out. And right now, I think you really have to—they're going to have to face the facts at the end of the year, and they're probably maybe going to have to seriously consider moving him.
0: And that's a problem, right? That that, that creates a whole ripple effect for what they're trying to do offensively. That's for tomorrow. For today. They're 9-4 and with three games to go. Let's look ahead to Sunday. Uh, A matchup that if they win and things go their way in other games, they could possibly clinch their playoff spot before going on the road for the last two games of the season. Either way, they probably need one more. Uh, It could be this week against the Lions. When when the schedule came out, guys, I didn't look at this as a marquee game. I mean, the Lions, they've been okay the last couple years. Nothing special. Last year, they rallied at the end. I didn't think much of them coming into the year. They're good. And right now, as we sit here, Dan... They are the number two seed in the NFC because the Seahawks lost on the road in Green Bay. So they're not just facing another team that's probably going to the playoffs. They're facing one that could possibly have a bye week and, and maybe match up with the Giants down the line. What do you think about this game? It's uh, it's a fascinating matchup to me.
2: Yeah, I don't think anyone saw this coming out of Detroit. So, I mean, it's uh been quite an impressive run by them. I mean, I think one thing you can pretty much count on for this game on Sunday is it's going to come down to the last possession because it seems like that's all these two teams both do. I mean, the Lions... Uh, Lions seem very similar. I mean, I haven't watched a ton of their games, but just the highlights you see, and just even just the scores you see, seem very similar to the Giants in the sense that it's certainly not always pretty, uh, but they just find a way in the fourth quarter to you know get that one score they need or get that one stop and and pull out a you know three point win, a seven point win, uh, whatever have you. That's been their formula all season. So I think it should be a great matchup. Two nine and four teams that have kind of got to the same point, uh, you know, traveling the same path. I, I think you know potentially uh the giants might catch a break with matthew stafford i'm exactly you know i know he's some hand injury with some some torn ligaments or something uh obviously look more into that this week you know, he's able to play yesterday but certainly that's uh that's not ideal for your quarterback uh, but I, I expect a really good matchup uh, it'll be interesting to see because the lions are kind of a funky offense that you know they really don't run the ball well uh, somehow they've gotten better without calvin johnson and without really having uh, you know, a marquee wide receiver, it's not a game where you say, oh, Janoris Jenkins is going to go shut down the number one receiver. And uh, they seem to spread the ball around really well. Uh, defense is playing well. So yeah, I think it's gonna be a really interesting matchup. And, um, you know, obviously, a game the Giants can win. And if you can get a 10 and 4, then, then you're really talking about, uh, you know, the ceiling for this team really goes up
0: it does and at 10 and 4 they might clinch and then we're talking about a five seed and where they'd play and who they'd play and all that kind of thing before the final two games and Stafford has a, I think a dislocation on his middle finger of his throwing hand so he'll be wearing a glove kind of like uh Kurt Warner did late in his career James when you um, when you look at this game and this matchup one that we could see again in January what are your early thoughts on it I think it's a really intriguing game I think it's it's I don't
1: want to say it's a must win for the Giants but I think that if you get to 10 and 4 then you really – I mean, I've we've said this since the beginning of the year. At Philly on a short week, at Washington, that's a really tough way to finish, end the year. And I think if you go into that two-game stretch with ten wins, there's a very good chance that even if disaster strikes and the Giants lose both games, they're going to get help on the back end elsewhere to get into the playoffs. I'm really fascinated to see Stafford. He's getting all this you know, MVP buzz. I, I want to see how he does, especially now that the injury in play. The Lions' defense has been kind of up and down. They have some pass rushes, but they've also struggled this year. And I I just think on the whole, I think the Lions have quietly been one of the league's more talented teams the past few years. I I know Jim Caldwell gets a lot of heat, but his teams are basically always kind of in in the playoff mix in his career. So I'm intrigued to see this team, because I think this is a team, especially since they're number two seed now in in the NFC at this time, you know, they could be a dangerous team. I, I think, you know... The idea of the Lions being a Super Bowl sleeper is not too out there at this point, especially if they're going to have some home field advantage to them. So I'm really just intrigued to see this Detroit team up close and see how the Giants match up with them. Because you're right, this very well could be the first-round matchup we see.
0: It could. And, yeah, I I agree with you. Caldwell doesn't get enough credit. He's not a bad coach. Not a great one. But he also um, took over that Ravens offense when they went on that run to win the Super Bowl, and he he was coordinating that thing. So he's pretty good. It should be a good matchup. Caldwell's offense, Stafford... Against this Giants defense. Guys, it was a fun game on Sunday night. You guys were there. uh, And obviously, uh, you'll be there down the stretch here. The Giants look like they're heading towards a rebirth in the postseason. James, as always, thanks for doing this. You got it, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Thanks to all of you for listening to episode 76 of Talk is Cheap. We'll be back next week to talk about the Giants, possibly with 10 wins, possibly already clinching a playoff berth everyone have a great week you can subscribe on itunes stitcher soundcloud anywhere you listen to podcasts you can listen to ours and subscribe and of course give, leave us a rating on itunes it helps the show grow we'll be back next week right here on nj.com